0: Hello, hello. Okay, we're good to go.' good to go. Good morning. Um, this morning we will be in Mark 14, starting in verses starting in verse 53. Mark 14, starting in verse 53. So now by way of reminder. Drew led us through the part of the passion narrative a couple of weeks ago where Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And in that sermon, Drew gave us some specific ways in which Jesus was betrayed and how at that moment of betrayal and arrest, Jesus began his final approach to Calvary alone. Not even the mightiest of his disciples could stand with Jesus being handed over to the Jewish elites, even even fleeing away naked to escape what is coming. Nevertheless, Jesus is dead set on making his way to Golgotha's hill to die for the sins of many, bearing the full weight of God's judgment against sin. And now Jesus is being led to the court of the Sanhedrin, Where he would be tried and condemned to die, not because of anything that he has done or said, but simply because of who he is. And this naturally raises the question, who is Jesus? Is he some wise teachers with some really interesting, really cool sayings that we can choose whether or not to live by? Or is he a political revolutionary who has come to, overthrow, come to overthrow Rome and reestablish Israel as the national power? Or is he something entirely different? This question of who Jesus is is the most significant question in the human language. Our eternal hope rests on answering this question rightly. According to the passage that we're about to study, Jesus is the divine king, is the divine son of God who sits on the throne of the kingdom of God. And all throughout the gospel of Mark, we get to bear witness to this reality that Jesus is the divine son of God. Starting in Mark 1 when Jesus begins his public ministry with these words. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and we also see the eternal son of god exercise his authority as king of the kingdom of god as he calms the storms he casts out demons heals the sick raises the dead and most importantly forgives people of their sins We see the good news of the kingdom of God reaching to even the Gentiles as the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and asks to have her demon-possessed daughter healed. And the Lord, seeing her faith, grants her request. But as we're going to see this morning, the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed will not be good news to everyone who listens. For religious leaders eagerly sought a moment where they can finally squash this Jewish rabbi from Nazareth who claimed to be the king of the kingdom of God because they saw him as a threat to their own little kingdom. With that being said, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against him to put him to death but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to me? What is it these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Father, I just pray that as we open your word this morning, I pray that you will speak through me to your people to encourage the saints, to continue another week. May your word be clear. May it be compelling. May it be powerful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So starting in verse 53, Jesus, after his arrest, was led to the Sanhedrin to be tried for his life in ministry. And I want you all to kind of picture the scene with me. During the time of Jesus, all religious matter would have been handled by the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was composed of 70 religious leaders who would gather together to hear religious court cases. And when they were gathered, they would all sit in a a kind of semicircle-like with a high priest in the middle of the semicircle and the individual on trial in the middle space in front. There should be a picture somewhere. There it is. And so that's what a meeting of the Sanhedrin would look like. As you can see, all the elders are sitting around the outside with the high priest in the middle and the person that is being accused is in the middle. And this particular night, the individual on trial before the Sanhedrin is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Now, for the Sanhedrin to condemn Jesus as someone who deserved death, they needed, to, they needed the testimonies of two witnesses that corroborated with one another in order to convict them. So Jesus is standing there before the council, and people are being brought up to bear false witness against Jesus. But time after time, their testimonies concerning Jesus fall apart. Or as Mark puts it, they do not agree. They even try to use Jesus' words against him. If you look with me starting in verse 58, which says, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not, with, not made with hands. Jesus actually does make this statement in John 2. But Mark writes, Yet even about this, something that Jesus actually said, their testimonies did not agree. And I want you all to notice that while all of this is happening, while all of the testimonies and all the false witnesses are coming up against Jesus, Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't utter a word against their defense. And, and it's not like Jesus didn't have anything to say to the Sanhedrin and all their pomp and circumstance, because we will see in a little bit what Jesus has to say. And that's just a heads up. That's probably my favorite part of this sermon is what Jesus says in response to them. But anyway, Jesus didn't say anything in his defense to fulfill the prophecy that was made concerning him back in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 7, which says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before that before it shears, its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And the funny part about this whole scene is that even though Jesus didn't utter a word of defense against their accusations, he really didn't even have to, because they couldn't find sufficient evidence to condemn Jesus. The more false witnesses they bore against Jesus, the more their false witnesses' testimonies fell apart. Jesus not having to defend himself from the accusations of the religious leaders revealed to us the first reality that we will study this morning. Reality number one. The son of man cannot be condemned by the lies of wicked men. The son of man cannot be condemned the lies of wicked men as we look at verses 55 through 59 more closely i really don't want us to gloss over the fact that these religious leaders these supposed holy men of god were relying upon false witnesses and false testimonies to try and condemn jesus and you would think that if the religious leader were going to use false witnesses and false testimonies to try to condemn Jesus, they would at least like huddle together beforehand and say, "Hey, you're going to say this, you're going to say this. This is going to match this, and then you're going to say this. It's going to match all three, and we we got it, we got them." But even if they did, it really wouldn't have mattered because Jesus was incapable. Of being condemned for something he did or said. The lies of wicked men cannot condemn the Son of Man because Jesus is sinless, having no blemish due to sin. The sinlessness of Christ is a very important truth for us because when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, he takes on himself our sins and we get his perfect righteousness that he obtained by his sinless life. It is what theologians call the great exchange. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5:21 this, "For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." This idea of the great exchange comes from the Old Testament Day of Atonement, where a spotless lamb without blemish will be killed to atone for the sins of the nation. And if you remember Jesus' movement throughout the latter half of the Gospel of Mark, he is making a beeline towards the cross to be our our atoning sacrifice. And him standing before the Sanhedrin is one stop along the way the Sanhedrin tried their best to show that this Jesus of Nazareth was not as perfect as everyone thinks he is and if Christ had any sin of his own the Pharisees would have wasted no time taking Jesus' sin and dragging it out for everyone to see so everyone knows how much of a fraud Jesus is if Christ had any sin he would have been an insufficient substitute on our behalf if Christ had any sin there's no point in us meeting here today there's no point in me talking to you this morning yet by not having to offer a defense to the accusations of the Sanhedrin Jesus proved that he is indeed sinless and that no live man can blemish the spotless lamb of God church let us live in light of this reality by first Praising God that the Sanhedrin couldn't find fault with the sinless Son of Man. Let us thank God that the lives of men cannot condemn the Son of God. And that Jesus is our perfect, perfect substitute. And let us seek to live a life that is above reproach. So that when the lies of men come against us to to declare us guilty of some grievous sins, they come to nothing because they do not agree. Peter, in his first letter to the same audience, writes this. 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On a day of visitation. Church, may no serious claim against our character be able to be sustained against us because we are not keeping our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. As we make our way through the text, starting in verse 61 the high priest, after all these false witnesses and all these false testimonies, failed to reduce the desired effect of a condemnation against the Son of Man. He sees Jesus just standing there not saying anything. And he finally has enough. He's finally like, this dude going to have to say something. Listen to what he says. Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But he, that is Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Now, (laughs) the high priest's blood is probably boiling at this point, and you can kind of just feel the tension rise in the room as the high priest asks Jesus a very direct follow-up question. This is what he says. Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed at this moment you can kind of picture the room go silent as everyone head turns to jesus to see what he has to say then jesus opens his mouth verse 62 and jesus said i am and at that moment time probably stood still as all the jaws of The Sanhedrin just hit the floor because Jesus, in three letters, declared himself to be the Christ, the son of the blessed, to whom belongs the kingdom of God. And the Sanhedrin knew exactly the point Jesus was making when he uses the phrase, I am. For Jesus, to use the same phrase in responding to, wait, for Jesus, comma, use the same phrase in responding to the Sanhedrin that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same phrase that God used when he declared to Moses that he is Yahweh or I am who I am. Furthermore, this was not the only time that Jesus uses the phrase I am when referring to himself. In the Gospel of John, there are eight I am statements that Jesus makes that points the reader to the fact that he is the divine son of God who has come to save sinners like you and me so the high priest definitely got more than what he was bargaining for in asking Jesus that question but wait there's more Jesus continues to speak and listen to what he says the rest of verse 62 says this and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And now everyone's in shock. Because not only did Jesus declare himself to be the divine Son of God, but he also pronounces judgment on the very people who are trying to kill him. Talk about a mic drop moment. And any hope of Jesus escaping this moment with his life. Just evaporated with those two sentences. But what a sweet reality for us to dwell on this morning. Reality number two. The son of man will return to destroy the kingdom of man. The son of man will return to destroy the kingdom of man. I think it would be really helpful for us as we look at Mark's account of what Jesus said to the Sanhedrin that we also view Mark's account in light of the other two synoptic gospels so that we can understand more clearly why Mark writes Jesus' words the way he does. And you'll you're see what I'm talking about in a little bit. Matthew twenty six sixty four, the parallel account. Matthew writes this. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to the high priest, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And in Luke's account, which is Luke 22, verses 67 through 68, Jesus responds in this way. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will have no answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. When we view these three gospel accounts together, we see that by far Mark's account, Mark's writing of this, is by far the most emphatic of the three. Because we see in Matthew's account, Jesus just answers with a simple, You have said so. And in Luke, Jesus responds with a statement of the council's unbelief by saying, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But Mark writes that Jesus emphatically declares to the Sanhedrin, I am. Now, this raises a very interesting question. What was what was Mark's purpose in in writing Jesus's response to the Sanhedrin with so much gusto? I was talking to Drew this week. I was just asked him, "It's just like, what's the purpose of Mark writing it with so much stank on it? You know, just so much." Ugh. What was Mark trying to accomplish by writing it this way? And if you remember the context that. Mark is writing and Mark is writing to the church at Rome, which was undergoing severe persecution on the Nero and during any time of suffering, let alone persecution. It is difficult to remain firm in the faith when brothers or sisters are being killed for following Jesus. It must have been a constant temptation for them, just as it is for us to wonder if this Jesus is really worth following with our entire lives. We often ask ourselves the question, is Jesus who he claimed to be? And Mark is writing to remind the church that following Jesus is, er- is worth every drop of blood that they will spill for following Jesus because Jesus is exactly who he said that he is. When the high priest asked Jesus to identify himself, Jesus didn't hesitate. He declared, I am. Furthermore, Jesus declared that the religious leaders would see the very judgment of God come upon them. Listen again to what Jesus has to say. Verse 62. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus... In making this statement, it's pointing us back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which is a prophecy of Christ's triumphant victory over every principality and power of this fallen world. Just listen to Daniel's prophecy here. And if it doesn't fire you up, it isn't... if. Daniel's words here doesn't just get some going to you to go suffer for Jesus' sake. I can't help you. Anyway, Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, not anyone else, to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is our God. This is why people go willingly to their deaths following Jesus. This is why Mark writes Jesus' words this way to encourage the saints in Rome. Jesus is king, not Nero. Jesus. And he has promised to come back and destroy all earthly kingdoms. And if you're a Christian in the room and you're fearful or facing persecution or anything for following Jesus just read John's words in Revelation 19 starting in verse 11 then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war of iron he will tread past the wine of the fury of the wrath of god the almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written and here's his name king of kings and lord of lords amen the whole point of the book of revelation was to remind the saints that jesus wins in the end despite how it looks now The church in Rome had no choice but to trust the promise of Jesus. St. Rose Community Church, the son of man will return to destroy the kingdom of man. And you could take that to the bank. Amen? Thank you. Believe that. Stake your life on it. Don't put your hope in any social or political power to save you from the kingdom of man because they can't. Don't believe that if we get so-and-so in the White House or so-and-so in the governor's mansion or so-and-so in the mayoral office that everything will turn out for the better and we're all going to sing kumbaya and have steak. Instead, trust in the promise that Christ has made to you concerning his second coming and say in your heart, come with may, I'm staking my life on Jesus. For he has promised me good. As we come to the last section of our passage, the Sanhedrin's response to Jesus' declaration of judgment is truly heartbreaking. Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received them with blows. The mighty men of God who have studied the scriptures day and night, awaiting the coming of the Messiah, now reject him as one deserving a death. All because they love their own little kingdom than gods. And they couldn't stomach the reality, the harsh truth that Jesus was proclaiming in that moment. Reality number three. Your response to the Son of Man will reveal which kingdom you serve. The high priest's response to Jesus' heart saying revealed that his heart was as hard as stone and darkened due to his sin. Instead of falling on his face and calling Jesus Lord... He tore his clothes and called the Son of God a blasphemer. What great wickedness. And the high priest was not the only one to display his cold dead heart in the passage. Verse 64. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. There was not one person in that room who opposed the condemnation of the son of God. And not only did they condemn him, they also began to beat him and spit on him and mock him. How dark does your heart have to be to form saliva in your mouth and spit on the guy, the man who literally hung the stars in the sky how sinful must you be to ball up your fist and to strike the one who made every ligament and bone in your body how worried about your own kingdom must you be to condemn to death the one who gave you life. It must have been a sad sight for Peter to watch this Lord be condemned. For it, indeed, for it is indeed a sad sight for us to read. However, the silver lining here is that the Sanhedrin's response to Jesus' declaration of his person made it plain to see that they were not as righteous as previously assumed. How ironic. The supposed holy and righteous men of God sought to expose Jesus as a wicked sinner, but instead got exposed as all wicked sinners. How ironic. The hard sayings of Jesus serves for us today as a moment of self-examination to determine whether or not we're fully following Jesus. The youth on Wednesday night this semester are memorizing as a group two verses of scripture and the two verses that they are memorizing as a group will serve us well in this moment. Matthew 16 verses 24 to 25. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a hard saying of Jesus, right? Right? And this is not the only hard saying of Jesus. Just listen to these few. Luke thirteen three. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all Likewise perish. John fourteen six. I and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John six. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Luke fourteen twenty six. If you do not hate your own father and mother, yes, even your own life. You cannot be my disciple. Matthew 5, you cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 7, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. John 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I can go on and on all day, but I hope that you're starting to get the picture. Jesus says some really difficult things. And as we commit ourselves to following Jesus and studying his word, that means that in our Bible readings or the sermons that we listen to or community groups that we are a part of, we will come face to face with the hard sayings of Jesus. And when we do, we will face a decision they reveal to us and to one another and to God Almighty which kingdom is ruling in our heart in that moment. So the next time you open your Bible or come to a corporate gathering such as this morning or go to a community group and you arrive at a passage of scripture that teaches the difficult truth to swallow, I invite you not to close your Bibles or close your hearts to what God has to say to you In the moment, don't be like the Sanhedrin who rejected the son of God to their own destruction. Don't close your heart to God for there's grace waiting you on the other side of that difficult saying. Actually, Romans 4 teaches us that conviction that we feel in the moment when we encounter a difficult text is actually the kindness of God that is meant to lead us to repentance. And to the unbeliever in this room, don't harden your hearts to the gospel message. For the gospel message is the hardest saying of Jesus and by far the sweetest. The gospel declares that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior has come in his name is Jesus. And instead of worshiping him as Lord, we sought to condemn him by our lives. It condemned him, we did, because of his truthfulness and faithfulness to himself. And we all spit on him and beat him and nailed him to a cross where he bore every ounce of sin as our substitute and took on the very wrath of God we deserved. And he died. But he rose from the dead, declaring that our debts owed to God has been paid in full. And all who repent from their sins and trust in the resurrected Savior are forgiven of all debts and receive the very righteousness of God himself. What great mercy, what great love has been shown to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. So Jesus is arrested, then brought before the Sanhedrin where he would face false testimony after false testimony, and he would be condemned to die, not because of anything he said or did, but simply because of who he is and who is Jesus. He is the sinless son of God. The great I am who will return to destroy every earthly kingdom and establish an everlasting kingdom that will be filled with those who responded in faith to the difficult yet sweet truth of the gospel. Let us help one another to live a life that is above reproach. Let us help one another to trust that Christ is coming again, let us help one another to embrace the difficult sayings of Jesus and the grace that is awaiting us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent Christ to die for us. We thank you that he bore every one of our sins and I pray that I'm just so thankful that forgiveness is not conditioned on our performance but instead on your mercy and so I pray that as we go throughout the rest of today and throughout the rest of the week that we will be faithful to help one another live in light of the realities that were presented this morning help us Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen stand and respond in song.